Uh, one of the, the main parts uh, of Proverbs that we'll be looking at today is in chapter uh, 26 uh, from verse uh, 13 uh, to verse 16. As we think of this third theme in the gripping book of Proverbs, work and laziness. And work has been part of human life even before the fall, hasn't it? Humans were commanded uh, to tend the Garden of Eden, were given the mandate to extend the Garden of Eden beyond that initial paradise. They were to subdue the earth. Thus God, our Creator, made us with work to do. The two sons of Adam and Eve worked. One was a shepherd, of course, and the other a farmer. And so work has remained an essential part of our lives ever since. The New Testament puts this matter succinctly when it states in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if we don't work, we shouldn't eat. For many of us, work is a burden that we carry, a weight that lies on us. It can detrimentally impact us, and so we are warned in that short statement, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Incessant work can make us dull in spirit. Abraham Lincoln felt the oppressiveness of work when he said, My father taught me to work, but he did not teach me to love it. And there's a grain of truth in what he says. Work can be heavy. It can be a burden upon us. But it's central to our lives. And it catches the eye and the mind of the writer of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, some wonderful things are said about work and about laziness. We think of laziness first of all. Menial work and the drudgery of some jobs can make laziness a real temptation. Working from home, perhaps, has provided you with strong temptations to be lazy. A local minister recently confessed to watching TV for a whole morning when he should have been working. And perhaps we've done that or felt the temptation to do that. One program just leading on to another and that job, that work which we had to do, which was difficult and burdensome, we kept putting it off. Or maybe we fritter away time with a newspaper or a best-selling novel or surfing the net when we should be studying or working. The children are a lot more honest than the, the adults, aren't they? Working and temptation to laziness led Samuel Johnson to write, to do nothing is in every man's power. We understand the sentiments of those who dream of earning 50,000 and the 100 people who dream of being left 50,000. And Proverbs catches that temptation to laziness which surrounds us all and contains some wonderful Proverbs for us to encourage us to work in our Christian life, in our secular job, in our community, in our congregation. 
We've already mentioned the well-known passage in chapter 6. Go to the ant, you lazy person, and consider her ways. The lazy Proverbs argues, leaves tasks unfinished. Chapter 12, verse 27. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Here is a person that begins a good project, makes a new start, but does not see it through. And we've all been there. In this proverb 12:27, the lazy man has gone to the effort of going to the forest, collecting his weapons, catching game. But when he returns home, he leaves it for someone else to cook and eat or for the dogs to consume. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. Around Ards, there are houses which are unfinished. The building work has been started. Foundations have been laid. Perhaps a roof is on it, but there's no windows or doors or landscape garden. The game has not been roasted. And so we can begin new and good habits, the Proverbs implies projects in our lives and often the exertion required the denial of our sinful lazy or bad practice the difficulty of this new path the allurements of ease are too powerful for us and what has begun is not finished Lord Help us finish our dissertation, our DIY project, our daily reading plan. Help us break that bad habit in our life. The lazy are unreliable, 1026 says, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who sent him. One writer says, suppose there's a fire to be extinguished, a medical assistance required, a message of urgent haste to be conveyed, and a person is sent to get the assistance, convey the message, but they dilly-dally, they're careless, they're slow, they lack urgency. It's like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes of those who sent that person. And so children... When asked to put your shoes away, to set the table, to empty the bins, do it immediately. The lazy is a dreamer, chapter 13, verse 4 says. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. 13.4. One writer comments, and this is a great statement. The sluggard desires the gain of diligence. Without the diligence that gains. The lazy person wants the gain of diligence without the diligence that gains. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Desire is critical 
in the Christian life and in life in general, but it must be joined with effort. But here in chapter 26, verses 13 to 16, unusually in this big section in Proverbs from 10 to 31, we have a collection on this one subject. Usually the subjects differ as we see in our our readings. But here in 26, uh, verses 13 to 16, we have pulled together uh, four principles uh, about the slothful, the sluggard, the lazy person. One principle in verse 13 is that the lazy person exaggerates obstacles. And we've done that, haven't we? The sluggard says, verse 13, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the street. You see how he is convinced by this, how he is repeating this argument, this exaggerated reason for not going outside, for not working, for not doing what he should. There is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. Now lions were not unknown in Israel. Samson and David and others uh, met lions in their lives, but they didn't stalk the streets of towns. They lived and they hunted in the desert. And perhaps this particular individual had heard a rumor, a tale, a legend like Nessie in the loch that, that a lion was in the street one time. And he uses this for not doing work, for not getting on with his responsibility. And the proverb is indicating that the lazy person seeks any excuse not to do something. This man stays locked in his house, claiming that to venture outside would be life-threatening. We might say, other cars might crash into us if I drive down the road. Tiles might fall off the ceiling and the roof if I walk down the street. I might catch a virus if I go visiting in the nursing home. Matthew Henry comments, The slothful man hates everything that requires care and labor. But he goes on, it is foolish to frighten ourselves from real duties by fancied difficulties. Yes, let us anticipate difficulties. Let us not be rash in our decisions. Let us think matters through carefully, but let us also go forward in courage and faith. Sometimes we make up difficulties as this man does here to get out of doing something, and that is wrong. Sometimes we anticipate real and legitimate difficulties, like the woman going to the tomb. The stone would be there. Who will roll us away the stone? But still, they went forward in love and faith. And sometimes we can actually see the difficulties with our very eyes, as David did as he looked into the eyes of Goliath. But he still went forward in courage and faith. Charles Bridges writes, active, simple faith carries us onward in the face of the lions in the way, seeming to stand open-mouthed to devour us. So don't let an imaginary 
anticipated our real difficulty. Prevent us as a congregation or you as an individual from going forward with a project in faith. The lazy love ease, verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. One writer makes the point that this person is not inactive. He's turning, he's turning on his bed. The door swings open, swings closed. There is movement, there is activity, but there is no progress. Moving indeed, the writer says, but making no progress. He works from one excuse to another, but never removes from his place. Difficulties hinder him from going forward. Conscience keeps him from going backward. And therefore, as the door upon his hinges, where he was one day, one year, there he is found the next. He moves, the writer says, within a scanty round of duties, not quite at ease, yet with no heart for exertion. The point here is not that this person never leaves his bed. This is not describing the person whose house curtains are always shut. If that is what we think this proverb refers to, we've missed the point of the proverb. This proverb challenges all of us. The person here is minimalistic. They've lost interest in life. They just can't be bothered anymore. They're content with the status quo. They keep themselves to themselves. They don't grow emotionally. Don't send birthday cards anymore. Don't roll up their sleeves to help anyone in need. Never enter into the disappointment of a young person who doesn't get their university place. They never make new friends. They don't grow intellectually. Always read fiction, never non-fiction. Always watch soaps, never documentaries. They don't grow spiritually. They attend church occasionally. They read their Bible sometimes, but they never mark it. They pray, but they never fast. They have activity, but no progress, no growth, no development. They're stuck in a rut. They're no different emotionally, intellectually, spiritually from one year to the next. Sometimes cash and time and health constraints prevent us from doing many things that we wish we could but we should all still be growing emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. Verse 15, thirdly, the lazy person resents work. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. 
here's, here's the person and, and, and she's out of bed now and she's sitting down at, at the table. She's even put her porridge in the microwave and, and had the, the power to press the button for two minutes and lifted the bowl out of the microwave and set it down on the kitchen table and is sitting there in front of it. But love of ease still marks her. It's an effort to her to feed herself. Not because of muscle decay, but because she is lazy. The bowl is there. The food is there. Are we guilty of this? We come to church. The food is here. But what good does it do us? We have our hand in the bowl of the means of grace. The word read, the word preached, the sacrament of baptism, the Lord's Supper, prayer, fellowship. But did we go away unchanged? A few weeks ago, a lady spoke to me after an evening service and said to me, this is my takeaway point from the sermon this evening. This is how it applies to my circumstances and to my family. She had come to the bowl of the means of grace and she had lifted the spoon of food to her lips and benefited from it. But the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Do you have children? Do you have a spouse? Do you have siblings? Do you have cousins? Your hand is in the dish of your family. But do you enjoy them? Do you benefit from them? Are they a blessing to you? And fourthly, in verse 16, the lazy person is unteachable. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer sensibly. And you're, you're looking at this and saying, how can this be? How does he think he is wiser than seven men who are answering him sensibly? Well, it's because he believes that by his laziness, and I keep saying he, but he, she, you know, okay. He's not exposed to the dangers that other men are by their activity. May refer to physical activity. He never does any exercise in case he gets injured. So he thinks he's wiser. There's those guys out there. And they're pulling muscles, you know, and, and they, can't, they can't go to their work because they, they, were, they, were, they were trying to get fit and they get injured. Never cooks adventurously in case he slices his finger. Maybe he's unwilling to wrestle with a new idea. He's mentally lazy. Won't entertain the thought of an electric car, a conservatory in his house, putting up a fence, triple glazing. He won't research the matter. Will this be cost effective for me? He's wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer sensibly. Just leave things as they are, is his attitude. Content with no improvement to his body, no improvement to his mind, no improvement to his house, no improvement to his soul. Yet despite this, he considers himself wise. Charles Bridges, in his wonderful commentary on Proverbs, he, 
he, he pulls in this theme of laziness and he holds it in front of us. And this is what he says. Don't think too lightly of it. Let me look closely, he says, in what respect am I influenced by it? Bodily, mentally, or spiritually? He goes on, does it never follow me through my work, to my knees, in my Bible reading? Do I not excuse myself from work of painful effort? And then his last question, or when conscience forces me to that painful effort, how is it done? Laziness is not out there. It's in here. We can think about our physical exercise. The exercise of our mind, Tim. Donna, you told me that he's, he's going to do another master's. He's 81, this guy. <laughs> okay. Exercise the mind, he says. We can think about our bodies, our minds. But what about our souls? Laziness. And Proverbs has wonderful things to say. And then, just briefly, at work. Work is necessary. Chapter 16, verse 26. A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. The proverb asserts that work is necessary to earn money, to eat, and so survive. We might consider work necessary because of the creation mandate, in order to find fulfillment, to secure money, to buy luxuries, to save face in the community. But the fundamental reason given here in 1626 is that it puts bread on our table, keeps the wolf from the door, pays the bills, earns our crust. This is the point of this proverb, that hunger pains will compel a person to get out of her bed in the morning and work her nine to five or her eight to eight shift to do that menial job to, to, to work for the minimal wage, to put up with all kinds of hassle from her colleagues or her boss. A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. It's an interesting proverb, isn't it? The word appetite, of course, means the desire for food, and, and we use it in that sense. The appetite of a worker is working for him in the sense of spurring him on in his work, providing the thought that at the end of the day he will be paid and thereby able to, to quell those hunger pains. The worker has a worker. Something is working for the worker. The worker's appetite works for him, lessens his burden. This is how Natural appetite is depicted. Work is necessary. This parable is true of us all. The belly is the teacher of all arts, the parent of invention, the proverb says. Right across the board, appetite compels us to work. And what is true 
of our physical appetite is true also of our spiritual appetite. If we have a hunger for Christ, a hunger for his word, a hunger for Christian fellowship, we will work to satisfy that hunger. Work is necessary. Work is profitable. Secondly, chapter 14, verse 23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends to poverty. Toil is hard work, heavy work, extra work, overtime, a job with added responsibility. And such work, such toil, this is probably above the normal job. It's, it's extra work that we take on. It produces profit, extra cash, more money than is needed to pay the basics of life. We can buy more than bread and water, food, drink and clothes and shelter. Superman market own brands with spare cash, savings for a rainy day, for investments, for acts of charity, toil. There is profit in toil. But by contrast, mere talk, words that drop lightly from the lips, produce nothing, but rather consume time that ought to be used working to ward off want. Lord Bacon explains this proverb well. Solomon here separates the fruit of the labor of the tongue and of the labor of the hands. One leads to profit. One leads to poverty. To speak of honey will not make the mouth sweet. And we all talk about what we will do. That patio out the back garden that we're going to do. The marathon that we're going to run. The few stone that we're going to lose. The prayer that we're going to discipline ourselves to do. That Christian book that we're going to read every month. But the talk must be accompanied with the work. And lastly, work is rewarded. 22 verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Work is necessary. Work is profitable. Work is rewarded. The skillful person is the one who excels. The word is sagacious, keen-witted, gifted. The, the Hebrew word means quick in the sense of quick in the mind, quick in understanding. We use the phrase, she's not slow, is she? Work here refers to a profession like a scribe, like a courtier, like a government official, and the reward for their diligence, their quick wittedness, their sharp mind is access to kings, to high government service, to promotion. They are fit to be employed in the affairs of the great and the powerful. Do you see a man, a woman, skillful in her work? She will stand before kings. The word obscure men is dark men, hidden men. No names of the bureaucracy. Success rewards diligence, this proverb says. The skillful banjo player out in our square there will soon be playing in the national orchestra. A person skillful in his work, he will stand before kings. There is Christ, 
the one who stood before kings, but chose to come among obscure men, the one who had the applause and the glory and the wonder and the adulation of heaven, came down into this earth to seek and to save us who are lost. In Proverbs teaching about work, the key word is diligent, strong, active, chosen. It's not meaning that we're to be alcoholics, uh, sorry, workaholics uh, like Wilhelm, the first king of Prussia, who said, I haven't got time to be tired. Not required like Sir Walter Scott to give 15 hours a day at our desk, rising at four o'clock. But we're required by this part of God's word to be diligent. Joshua Reynolds says, if you have great talents, diligence will improve them. And if you have, like most of us, moderate abilities, diligence will supply their deficiency. Work is hard for many of us, but it brings the benefits. That no life was this exemplified more than in the life of Christ. He worked diligently. Laziness was never found in him. Not a moment was wasted. Not an opportunity was lost. Not a day was empty. He says at the end of his life, I have finished the work that you, my Father, gave me to do. We rejoice today that that work of Jesus, that diligent work, that perfect work, was a work for the glory of God and a work for us as he lived in this life perfectly and died on the cross for our redemption. And we today, as we Emphasize to the children, do not work for our salvation, but we rest and depend completely on Jesus. But now we work with diligence and labor and commitment. Douglas Malloch wrote a famous poem entitled Good Timber. And in this poem, he talks about the difficulties of life and, and work is included in those, but yet what the difficulties bring to us and this emphasis of diligence in Proverbs seen in Christ and to be found in us, not the laziness that's all over Proverbs, but the diligence that is here, it will make us grow physically, emotionally, spiritually, the tree that never had to fight for sun and sky and air and light that stood out in the open plain and always got its share of rain never became a forest king but lived and died a scrubby thing. Good timber does not grow in ease 
The stronger wind, the stronger trees. The further sky, the greater length. The more the storm, the more the strength. By sun and cold, by rain and snows, in tree or man, good timber grows.